Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were looking for a sign. But not just any sign. We weren't looking for a sign about whether we should start the process of buying a house or if we should move away from Tucson. We weren't looking for a sign about whether or not Megan should go ahead and quit the terrible job she had and go back to school. It wasn't a sign about what we should pursue next or where we should go in our lives. We were not looking for a divine message in the clouds sent from God. No, we were looking for a little plus sign. A little plus sign on a little stick that would tell us if Megan was pregnant or not. We had looked for this sign in the past. The night we got back from our honeymoon, Megan had me run out and pick up a pregnancy test for her to take, just in case, you know. But no plus sign appeared that time. And then the month before, uh, we'd gone through a whole bunch of tests because we had just started trying to get pregnant and Megan's period wasn't coming. But those tests kept coming up negative, and eventually Megan's period did come. It was just off as her body adjusted to coming off of birth control. But now we were again looking for that little plus sign. Megan's period was late again, and we decided that it was time to take the test. It was the morning, and Megan started the day off with the test, and then we waited. Those few minutes felt so long while the test did its thing. I wanted to know if now was the time that we would see that little plus sign. I had dreamed my whole life of being a dad. It was the one thing I knew I wanted, even while I was struggling in college with choosing whether I wanted to be an engineer or teaching or neither. I knew I wanted to be a dad when I was a child, playing with my cousin's little kids or with the kids at church. I knew I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to wrestle with little babies while just trying to put on their little socks. I wanted to chase them down when they escaped from the bath all soapy and naked. I wanted to teach them to read and wanted to help them with their math. I knew I wanted to nap on the couch while they napped on me. I had all of this hope for my potential future on the line while we waited for this little plus sign to appear or not. And at my request, after failing repeatedly to do so the month before, Megan waited for me before checking the test. And after our three-minute timer went off, we went back together to the bathroom to look at the test and the results were decidedly mixed. (laughs) Because we looked at the test closely, and like one of the lines for the plus sign was pretty dark, but the other one was like kind of faint. Now there's like the control line, which you can see is that like, that line, extra line in the separate box, and that's just there to show you that the test is working. And that one was like very clear and present. But we were a lot less certain whether or not that plus sign was real or not had we actually found the sign that we were looking for. So we sat on the couch and we considered what to do next. Should we celebrate? Well, we weren't really sure if we had anything to celebrate. Uh, should we go and get a different test to try? Like maybe one of those ones that like advertise like a clear digital screen that we couldn't possibly misread. Should we tell anyone? Well, no, we should probably wait till we're really certain that we actually had news to share. While we pondered how to respond, I looked up pictures of pregnancy tests to get a clearer idea of what a positive test should really look like. 
maybe that's just how they are. The lines don't get that dark. And as I looked up these pictures, I realized something. The plus sign, as you can see, it's made up of two lines, right? There's a horizontal line um, and a vertical line. And um, that horizontal line is going to show up no matter what, because if the test is negative, you just get the one horizontal line that shows the minus sign, so that you would know that it's negative. So I started to suspect maybe that line's not that important. Rather, that's the vertical line. It's the one that changes that minus sign to a plus sign that really matters, because that's the line um, that wouldn't show up if you weren't pregnant. So I thought about this, and then I jumped up off the couch, and I ran to go look again at that test that we'd left in the bathroom and, and just take another look at it. And I realized uh, which line it was that was really faint and which one was dark and clear. It was the very important vertical line that was showing up most clearly. So our uncertainty, yes, that's how the story ends. We have a baby. <laughs> uh, Surprise. Uh, our uncertainty in that moment became more confident, and our confusion turned to elation. Megan was pregnant after all. We'd gotten the sign we had hoped for all along. I realized the way some of that sounded. I'm talking about our current baby. We are not, I'm not making an announcement. <laughs> no announcements are being made. This is, a, this is from a few years ago. Uh, now, the little plus sign on a pregnancy test is actually a pretty big sign to receive in life. Finding out that you're going to become a parent is pretty big news, and it's a turning point in many people's lives, whether you're looking for it or not. But there are many times in life when we are looking for a sign to direct us towards what comes next. Like, where should I go to school? Is this the right place for me? What career should I pursue? Perhaps you, like me, have prayed to God to give you a sign. Should I be a doctor? Should I be an astronaut? What should I do about this relationship? A sign would help me know if we should just break up or keep going. Now, maybe we start looking for like a sign in the clouds or draw meaning from like the appearance of like a special animal. Or we flip open to a random verse in the Bible, hoping that that particular verse will offer us wisdom for our exact situation. We would love a sign to help answer these questions and to give us direction. How often do we anguish over life, decisions, and direction, and how incredible would it be to receive a definitive answer from the Lord of Lords? And no matter what that news is, though, I do imagine it's safe to say that we all long for clarity. If we're going to get a sign that redirects our lives, we want it to be clear, but I think most of the time, those signs, if they are signs, are probably about as clear as Megan and I's pregnancy test. Well, once upon a time, one young woman did receive such a clear and definitive sign from God, one that would reshape the direction of her life and utterly transform her. But not only her, but the whole world would be transformed. And that's what we're going to do this Christmas season. We're going to look at that story, the story of Mary leading up to the birth of Christ at Christmas. And it all began when Mary received a visitor. From Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary doesn't just receive a sign. She receives a whole revelation. An angel of God comes to her and reveals to her that God has chosen her among all people to bear witness to the to bear the promised Messiah and to give birth to him. The news that you're going to become a parent is a pretty big revelation, no matter what and no matter how it comes, whether through a positive pregnancy test, through a legal adoption, through fostering short-term or long-term, through marrying a partner with kids of their own, or just by being a loving and safe adult around kids who need another person to love for and care for them. There's lots of ways to become a parent and to receive this news but Mary's is still pretty special. An angel of God comes to her. If you're looking for a sign, there's very little that's more clear than that. And the revelation that he brings her is pretty significant. And for us, this is the start of the story of our Savior's birth. For Mary, this is the story of revelation, of unexpected pregnancy, unease, nausea, and transformation from a young girl who envisioned a simple life married to a local carpenter to perhaps the most famous mother who ever lived. Artist and author Scott Erickson reflects on this revelation in his book, Honest Advent, which inspired our Christmas series. He wonders whether we actually want to receive the kind of sign and revelation that we often long for in life, writing, it would be awesome to have this kind of story in your life, but if I'm honest, I'm I'm actually afraid of revelation. All great stories come at a cost, and the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. In any divine enunciation, you receive revelation as a gift, yet at the same time, you receive notice that, that all you had planned is ending. It's all over. Everything will change. Most of all, you. Do we really want revelation? Do we really want a sign from God? Are we ready for the consequences? Now, maybe we picture receiving a sign from God like Harry Potter when a giant magical man bursts down the door into his sad, miserable life and offers him incredible destiny and whisks him away to a new and magical life filled with purpose. But it's also like Frodo Baggins from Lord of the Rings, who's also granted incredible purpose by a large magical man that leads him out of his home and onto a new path. Except Frodo's purpose is pretty terrible, and that's a pretty heavy burden. He alone can bear the ring that has corrupted everyone else with its promises of power and domination. And he isn't being saved from a miserable life and abusive aunt and uncle, but is instead being called out of his very pleasant pastoral life in the Shire. Both of them received clear direction for their lives, and actually both lived hard, challenging lives afterwards. Harry's life as a wizard isn't exactly easy as he spends the rest of his childhood battling evil wizards. And as for Frodo, after beginning an after bringing an end to ultimate evil in the world, Frodo is so changed by that that he can never go back home to the life that he has always known. These are two of like the greatest stories of my childhood, but they really drive home Erickson's point that all great stories come at a cost, and the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. <coughs> Mary is not alone in this experience from the Bible. Revelation may not happen all the time in our lives, but there's certainly some correlation between people who receive revelation and people whose stories are included in Scripture. But I just want to consider two others, one of whom receives pretty obvious revelation and one whose experience is less obviously divine, 
but they both teach us something about the nature of revelation alongside Mary's experience. Now, the first of these is Moses, who comes across something quite amazing in Exodus chapter 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. The angel of the Lord appears in a burning bush. Like with Mary, this is a pretty hard sign to miss, or so we think. Moses' revelation seems miraculous like Mary's, but sometimes revelation actually takes deep awareness to notice. After all, Moses is in the middle of work. He's a shepherd. He's watching his father-in-law's flock when this bush on fire catches his eye. Now, it might be natural for him to notice the fire, to take a look at it, um, but I think consider how much time it would take for him to really notice the divine here. Uh, It's going to take some time for that fire to consume the bush. It could take maybe 20 to 30 minutes. And even if it wouldn't take that long to notice the lack of destruction going on, it's still going to take some time and attention. Moses couldn't just see that this bush was on fire and realize immediately that something special was happening. And he could have easily moved on. It'd be pretty natural for him to return to his work. But instead, he pauses. This is amazing, Moses says to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses turns aside and takes the time to stop and watch and wonder. And it was only after he turned from his normal work to notice something extraordinary that God called out to him. God has a special mission for Moses. He is to return to Egypt, the land where he grew up as a member of the royal family before going into exile. And God wants him to go free God's people, the Israelites, from slavery. Like Moses, if we want to see a sign from God, we need to be aware of God and open to interruption and disruption. We cannot be rushing ahead, but instead able to slow down, sit with God, and to receive God's word. Later in the Bible, another one of God's people receives another life-changing sign from God that alters their entire life direction. Esther, like Moses, is one of God's people living in exile and a member of the royal court of a foreign nation. In this case, Esther is the queen of Persia, but there is a conspiracy afoot to wipe out the Jewish people, her people, and her uncle Mordecai has uncovered this plot. He comes to her and challenges her to go to her husband, the king, with this news. But doing so, Esther is aware, risks her own life because no one can come to the king without first being summoned by him. Despite this risk, Mordecai challenges Esther Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. As in Esther's case, revelation isn't always a supernatural occurrence. Nothing unexplainable is happening here. Instead, Esther is reading messages sent to her by her uncle, but it is a revelation nonetheless. God is never directly mentioned in the book of Esther. Instead, we need to learn to recognize God acting through chance, coincidence, and the faithful response of God's people. 
And all of that is present here in this scene. Why else would Esther be queen, Mordecai asks. What if she doesn't seize this opportunity? Will Esther be faithful as her uncle Mordecai challenges her to be? If she doesn't act, she and her family will die. Esther must make a choice. Like Esther, if we hope to hear God's voice in our lives, we need to be in community where we are known and where we know others who are willing to challenge us and speak God's truth into our lives. <coughs> Moses and Esther offer us different images of what Revelation looks like, but along with Mary, they all together teach us something about the reality of it. And first, we aren't in charge of Revelation. As Erickson puts it, the rub of Revelation is that it is transformation you're not in charge of. Revelation does not come the way we want or expect. We may be looking for a sign from God, for some message to address the question we are asking, but nothing comes. At another time, we may be content in what we are doing, and God comes in and shakes it up. Mary's life had a plan and direction. She was set to marry a good, a good man, Joseph, who had a good job as a carpenter. Her life maybe wasn't going to be glamorous, maybe wasn't going to change the world, but it could be a good life. Then the angel came to her, and Mary's life was to be upended. She couldn't know what would happen, but had reason to fear. What would her family say when they discovered that she was pregnant out of wedlock? Would they disown her? What would other people say? Would they believe her story, or would they accuse her of adultery, an accusation that could come with death? How would Joseph, her fiancé, respond? How could he proceed with the marriage? Would he reject her? Mary was not in charge of this revelation. Nor was Esther in charge. Esther was queen and, on, and had a life unlike Mary's that would be comfortable and secure. But there was also some insecurity in that moment. The king had not summoned her in a while. She hadn't seen her husband. And he'd simply gotten rid of the last queen when she displeased him. So now was not the time for Esther to rock the boat when Mordecai challenged her. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. This probably didn't feel like the best timing for Esther, but again, she is not in charge. And Moses wasn't looking for a sign. He was looking for a sheep. He'd fled Egypt, and he'd made a new life for himself in Midian. He had a wife and a son. He had a job that he was good at, chasing sheep through the desert. He was home. And then God called to him from a burning bush, and Moses begged God to send anyone else. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, please send anyone else. This calling was too big for Moses. He could watch sheep. He could be a good husband and a father, but go challenge the Pharaoh of Egypt? Moses felt impossibly unqualified for the job. Mary is not in charge of what is going to happen, and neither are Esther and Moses. God is. About 15 weeks after finding our little plus sign on the pregnancy test, Megan and I went in to get an ultrasound where we would not only see our baby's growth, but where we would also learn if we were having a boy or a girl. Now, we both liked the idea of having a girl first. Both of our families have firstborn daughters, including Megan, so that just kind of felt normal to us. On top of that, uh, we, had some we have some pretty stellar girls' names that we pretty much agreed on while we were still dating, and we're pretty excited to get to use those. But we were open to whatever God was going to bless us with, or so we thought. When we got into the room and the tech started to show us our little baby on the screen, we were so excited to see their little face, 
their little toes, their little heart beating healthily. And then we got to the part where we find out if we're going to have a boy or a girl. And we experienced something unexpected, disappointment, because we weren't having a girl. We were having a boy. And once we realized that we were disappointed by that revelation, our disappointment quickly became guilt and shame. Because how could we be disappointed with our baby? We knew we liked the idea of having a girl first, but we hadn't realized how much we'd built that idea up in our minds, how our guesses had become preferences and expectations that were simply very unfair to this little one. But we also didn't stay disappointed. Prior to that day, we'd just been calling our baby Squish. That was our little nickname for them, but we knew that wasn't their name. We were waiting until we knew if they were a boy or a girl, and though we were disappointed at first, that was the day Squish became Joseph. And though it didn't go the way we expected and we were not in charge of it, it was a very special day. Just like the ultrasound didn't go the way we wanted it to, we are not in charge of revelation. So when we look for a sign, when we look for revelation, we must let go of control to receive it. If we are actually hoping for revelation, it does not just answer our question of where to go to school or what job to take. Instead, it is the start of a whole process that begins by letting go. I came to school to study aerospace engineering, but by my junior year, I felt that it was not right for me. I knew that I would not find it fulfilling. So I started to ask God, what else is there for me? What should I do? I prayed for guidance from God, for a sign of what sort of career I should pursue. At the end of my junior year, I was sitting across from Ryan at a mentor meeting, and as I drank my warm coffee, the staple of any good meeting like this, Ryan looked me in the eyes and he told me, you can do what I do. That was my revelation. That was my sign in the beginning of my call into ministry. But it also required letting go. Letting go of expectations, letting go of worry of what others might think. See, my parents had paid for my college tuition and I felt that I owed it to them to consider their opinion as well. So on the drive home from Tucson to Denver for that summer, I asked my dad if he would be all right if I pursued my pursued ministry, and never used my engineering degree. And my dad understood. He supported me. I wasn't surprised, but I did have to ask. Some years later at the rehearsal dinner before my wedding, my dad gave a toast, and I still remember how he shared that he was proud of me and he affirmed my calling. He said, Tyler had his heart set on the heavens one way or another. Revelation changed my plans and it changed my dad's plans for me. But if we were truly seeking truly seeking it. We need to be open to that. Erickson writes, revelation doesn't transform the places you want to transform. It transforms all the things you dreamed and planned for your best case scenario. Mary had to release any vision for her life or expectation about her future that she may have had. She had a vision for her life ahead, but none of that was possible anymore. She had to let go of control over her life in that moment of revelation and accept that everything was going to change. Revelation asked Esther to risk everything. She had a comfortable life in the palace, but Mordecai was challenging her to risk losing it all. Moses had found a good life in the desert, but God was sending him back to the place where he had fled. Their best laid plans were upended by a God who had greater purpose in store for them. Yet they each accepted what God was calling them to do. Moses takes his family and he heads back to Egypt, carrying with him the staff of God. 
He is not only called, but he's equipped by God for the mission. And Esther answers Mordecai's challenge. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. And Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Despite the sacrifices that would come with accepting revelation, all three accept. God takes the lead, they surrender control, and find that revelation is absolutely worth it. They each take a step into a greater story than they could have ever imagined for themselves. The king listens to Esther, and her courage uncovers the terrible plot and saves her people. With the staff of God, Moses performs great wonders before Pharaoh that demonstrate the power of God, and he leads God's people out of slavery. Mary gives birth to the Savior and becomes the mother of God. She knows God in a way that we could never imagine and joins in a story that we can never forget. In a sense, the Bible is a collection of stories of people who received revelation and chose surrender, sacrifice, and obedience. It is the great story made up of many wonderful short stories from Abraham to Moses to Ruth to David to Daniel to Esther to Mary and many, many more. If you are seeking a sign in your life, a revelation from God to guide you through a difficult choice or stage in your life, then I encourage you to come back and to hear the rest of Mary's story and to engage with the whole, Christmas, whole Advent season. Let Christmas be more than one day, but instead a season of revelation. Revelation is the beginning of transformation, and transformation is a process. Keep listening, learning, and engaging with that process together here at Damascus Road and throughout the season. Next, I invite you to pause and to reflect. If you are looking for a sign, are you open to revelation or do you just want an answer? Do you just want God to show you what to do or is your heart open to change? In revelation, God is present. God is speaking and God may need to redirect your life, transform your whole person, and may offer you one thing while inviting you to let go of another. Ask yourself, what are your best laid plans? What is the comfortable life you may need to give up? Erickson reminds us that revelation is a hard gift to receive. You must give up control to receive it, like finding a treasure in a field and selling everything so that you can get that treasure. He is referring here to the parable that we can find in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. If you're hoping for a sign, the place to start might be to recognize what might you need to sell in order to buy the field. What do you need to let go of? The stories of Mary, Moses, and Esther teach us that revelation is less about what question it is that we're hoping to be answered and more about what we may need to let go. That's the tension of revelation. Through it, God offers us transformation, healing, and particip participation in God's kingdom. But it requires letting go of control of releasing our expectations, and allowing God to change us. It is worth it, but it is hard. If you're ready for this, then consider what it means to pay attention. Sometimes you may find God's presence in your life quite obvious, like the angel appearing to Mary. I won't dismiss that possibility. But sometimes it means being aware and paying attention like Moses in the burning bush. 
Other times it will mean allowing someone to confront you, to challenge you, and to speak truth into your life like Mordecai and Esther. Are you paying attention? Are you looking for revelation? Key figures of the Christmas story are the shepherds and the wise men. A chorus of angels came to the shepherds and told them where to find the infant Jesus. The wise men were looking for the signs in the heavens, and they found him just as well. Finally, if you receive revelation, how will you respond? If God is revealing himself to you today, whether that is through an angel, a bush, or through the words of another, will you receive it or will you reject it? Will you join in on the work of transformation? Will you participate in the mission and the purpose of God? Mary responds with beautiful faith. She not only accepts it when the angel speaks to her, she later sings about it in a song of praise recorded by Luke called the Magnificat. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Let us also respond with songs of praise and faith. Let us also enter into the story of Mary within whom our Savior grew and formed and whose birth we await this Advent season. Remember, as Erickson writes, she who is willing to accept the cost of revelation finds herself in the deepest of stories. Stories that are so mysterious, divine, and human that we still tell them today. Let me leave you with this benediction and blessing. May you, re- may you receive the light of divine annunciation in the flames of your best laid plans. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we await the birth of our Savior, the celebration, Lord, to remember that we remember that. And we come back to it every year, Lord, to engage in this story, to re-enter into the story of the season. May we listen for you, for your word, for your presence in our lives. May we be aware and open to you. May we receive revelation, Lord, the message from you, the call from you into transformation, Lord. And may we give all of that to you. Let go of whatever it is we need to let go of, whatever is holding our hearts back from giving it fully to you, Lord. Let us respond with the faith of Moses, of Esther, and most of all, Lord, of Mary. In your holy name I pray, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.